You're listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Brought to you by Ryanair Business Plus. Business made simple. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, September 24th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show, we'll be discussing the upcoming budget with David Begg, General Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, Larry Murren, the President of IBEC, and Arthur Beasley, the Economics Editor of the Irish Times. Arthur Beasley, I'll start with you. The Nevin Institute, which is funded by the trade union movement, and this week called for a budget adjustment of €800 million. The Irish Fiscal Advisory Council wants the government to adhere to the originally planned €2 billion euro adjustment, while IBEC um, wants the top rate of tax cut and certain other concessions uh, made as well. What are your sources telling you will be in the budget? Well, uh, no matter what everyone else is saying, the uh, very clear indications out of the government, and I think it's fair to say out of the two sides of the government, are that this is going to be a neutral budget. Now, the question is, what exactly does that mean? And what that ma- what that means is that uh, where the government is giving, it will take with the other hand. Uh, and in other words, there will be no net increase in taxation and there will be no net, if you like, uh, new cutbacks in terms of uh, government expenditure. Now, after a long line of huge retrenchment going back over several, several years, this certainly marks something of a turning point for the uh, the state, the Irish people, and mm. indeed the government. But what about uh, tax rates? Let's talk about tax rates. Andy Kenny has indicated that he'd like the top rate to come down. Um, Joan Burton's focus seems to be more around the USC, the Universal Social Charge. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, this has been on the agenda since the very end of the bailout. Michael Noonan, uh, at that point last December, said that he was looking at the possibility of cuts in income tax as early as 2015. Uh, The moment of truth is uh, coming fast down the tracks. And I think there is a degree of tension within the government. Certainly on the Labour side, I think the emphasis is on the USC. I think Joan Burton and the people around her would like to see uh, some kind of a cut on that uh, charge, which... Uh, imposes a very, very uh, high degree of, uh, a high burden on a vast swathe of taxpayers, but this is very, very lucrative for the government, and I think Michael Noonan would be loath to go there. On the other side, on the Fine Gael side of the government, there's a, a huge pressure to reduce the upper rate of income tax, the argument being that simply too many people are paying what is a very high rate of income tax. There's no agreement as of yet, an easy way out or a relatively easy way out would be for the government to uh, raise the thresholds at which uh, the uh, lower and indeed the higher rate of income tax uh, come into force. Uh, but there is a feeling, certainly in political circles, that the government would not get the political credit for that from the people. I think that people in Fine Gael and indeed in Labour would uh, remember back to the time of the Rainbow Coalition when it was on its way out of office. Uh, tax concessions were introduced at that time uh, by way of changes to the tax bans. The feeling was they didn't get the credit for it. And there was Charlie McCreevy then in opposition saying, look, at we're going to decrease the tax rate. And of course, as everyone knows, the Rainbow Coalition lost that election. 
Yeah, David Baig, uh, decreasing the top rate of tax would be a popular thing to do. It would play well with a certain section of the population, mm. uh, particularly of the workforce. Uh, would you support that measure? No, I wouldn't, to be honest. Uh, I agree with you it would be popular, and it would be popular because of its simplicity. And just for the reasons Arthur outlined there, that's mm. really why I suppose the government are driven towards it a little bit, because people don't understand the tax system all that well. And explaining that you're going to reduce the rate is, is extremely attractive to people. But in fact, it would not benefit a huge uh, proportion of the population. About 18% of people, 1818, would be uh, positively uh, affected by it. In our view, a better result in equity and for the economy could be gained in two other measures which are not much canvassed. One is in relation to refundable tax credits, the other the unearned portion of that that people have, like there are quite a few people who don't actually gain from their tax credit. Now, in fact, introducing that particular measure would cost exactly the same as reducing the tax band by a hundred uh, or thousand uh, euro, and you would benefit around one hundred and forty. Uh, thousand people. The other thing is that a really difficult issue for the government, I would have thought, is the water charges, frankly, and they're likely to be clobbered in relation to that no matter what they do on the tax side. So if I was in government, I would be looking at trying to do something about that. And we have made a proposal to them for a kind of water tax credit. Uh, and to, to cut to the chase, the effect of it would be that households you know, on the basis of a two-income household with people earning between them around the average industrial wage up to €80,000 would effectively be uh, cost-neutral. They wouldn't have to pay anything for that. Above 80000 between 80000 and 100, uh, people would avail of the allowance that the government currently wants to give them. That's the 21000 uh, litres a year, whatever it is. But above that, you know, we would say people should pay above 100000 people should pay the normal cost. That's household income. Above household income, exactly. Right. How yeah. much would that generate us? That would uh, generate around 350 I think, overall, which is close enough to what the government are um, do you know want to want to achieve but I mean that's a, a more targeted approach frankly to the to the to the budget would be better we think I, yeah. of course the, the, the water of the simplicity of the other measure but it wouldn't be the best thing to do sure of course the water charges it's also a conservation measure isn't it, it is, if you yeah, give people yeah. free water up yeah. to 80,000 euro proposal, use... Kieran, the advantage of our proposal is that you establish the principle that water is paid for you just relieve the cost uh, up to that level of uh, personal income but you, I, you do introduce the sure. the concept of conserving water can I just ask you about the Nevin Institute and, mm. and their uh, economic analysis um, they, they put out their autumn report this week mm. one of the things they're calling for as part of this 800 million euro adjustment is an increase in employers PRSI from 10.75% to 17% which seems an extraordinarily high uh, amount now this is for incomes over 100,000 euro yeah. they argue that this will raise 100 million euro and it won't really affect levels of uh, employment levels. Um, What would you say to that? I mean, that seems to be a tax on jobs, is it not? No, I don't think so. Not at that level, because actually you probably find that at that particular level of income, these are the people who are likely to be in short supply in the economy anyway. So I don't don't think that, you know, it would mean that uh, people would would not uh, employ them, uh, as it were. So it's really a question, though, what you want to do overall in this thing. You see, you have to remember that Nevin idea is... 
neutral in the sense of the overall cost, but they want to actually create some money for investment in the economy as well. Because if you consider, like we ha- we have a seriously bad social housing crisis facing us uh, at the moment. And uh, I think it's going to get worse unless we make some intervention in it. And part of the problem is that the local authorities got out of providing social housing in around the 1980s uh, and left it to a system whereby they were more or less subsidising. They ended up subsidising the boom to some extent. Now, we have to try and make a correction. Nevin's actually advocating that we should borrow for that type of stuff. Yeah, Is it wise to borrow more? Yeah, it depends on how you do it. I mean, what they're saying is that you create a vehicle which can allow you to borrow off balance sheet. And that essentially requires two things, that you have assets and that you have an income stream. What they're really saying is that you create a housing agency, a bit like the United Kingdom, or even like the housing executive in Northern Ireland, and that they do the borrowing. Because remember, the co- if, if you can do this borrowing off balance sheet, the cost of the money is very low at the moment. And on the principle, it's a good principle to, to invest in the future, because think of it this way, you shouldn't borrow uh, for your day-to-day uh, public yeah. expenditure, but borrowing in the longer term to do something like relieve a problem like social housing, which would take the heat perhaps out of the housing market overall and prevent us from getting into this boom-bust situation again that okay. we seem to be at risk of. Larry Murren, uh, President of IBEC, newly appointed. Congratulations on your uh, elevation to that role. Um, just to bring you in on this conversation, IBEC, as I mentioned earlier, uh, would like a, a cut in the top rate of tax. You've also called for some of the some of the levies and duties on alcohol to be reversed for the pensions levy to be dropped, uh, etc. Is this the right time for the government to be cutting taxes? Uh, I suppose the bottom line from an Irish consumer and business perspective is that the Irish consumer and taxpayer needs a break. Um, We're coming off the back of certainly four, if not five years in reality of the toughest recessionary times the country has seen in modern history. And um, you only need to look at domestic market, the, the, the Irish domestic market figures to see that there's still, it's still a very flat marketplace. There's a significant reduction in value and volume in the Irish marketplace that is showing gentle signs of starting to come back. But Irish domestic Irish businesses and, and Irish-based businesses who are relying on the Irish economy are still struggling. So the Irish taxpayer uh, payer needs a break. Uh, and hence... Uh, we believe that the whole marginal rate issue has to be addressed, both in terms of entry level and percentile terms. Uh, we do believe that the scope is there to do something with the USC so that it's it's more equal. Uh, and uh, we 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 actually argued that there's a case for the whole pensions levy thing to be looked at. Simply put, that the whole uh, domestic economy here um, and the consumers within it. Um, they are really, really struggling. Um, the the, uh, the disposable it, income isn't there, and they need to know that they that it's safe for them to go out and is, spend some of their savings. Is knocking a couple of cent off the price of the pint going to do much for the pub trade? Um, I can't answer that. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest, but I do believe it sends a hell of a signal to the consumer uh, if that were to happen. What about Nevin's proposal to increase the employer's PRSI and incomes over 100k from 10.75% to 17%? They say it'll have no effect on employment and it would raise 100 million euro. And for every tax cut that the government gives or concession that it gives, it has to generate some money somewhere else, doesn't it? 
Yeah, well, I guess um, to, to just put Nevin aside for a moment, if I may, um, IBEC have been predicting economic growth in the in the Irish economy um, uh, fairly accurately for the last couple of years. And we actually see uh, and believe that the economic growth is likely to continue at a reasonable click rate. Certainly 3 to 4% is deliverable for possibly as long as 20 years. Now, we have to give some of that back or start to give some of that back to the Irish taxpayer. And now is the time to do that. It's and, and to try- It's impossible to predict out 20 years, though, isn't it? Really? it, it well, arguably it is, but it's certainly there's a reasonable line of vision on the trends that could underpin the next 10, mm. providing we m- maintain the momentum that we've started. And the austerity that has been delivered into the Irish economy, whether we like it or not, over the last four years, have had a fundamental effect on helping us to reset some of the key metrics. From just $69.99 one way, new Ryanair Business Plus gives you premium seating, a flexible ticket, security fast track, a checked bag, but no business class curtain. Ryanair. Business made simple. Subject to availability. See Ryanair.com for more details. David Beck, let's pick up that point from Larry because the GDP and GMP figures that were released uh, last week as part of the national accounts were extraordinary, weren't they? I mean, 7.7% increase in GDP, 9% increase in GNP. Not even the government thought they'd be Mm. that strong. And it has led to this kind of uh, call for cuts in the budget. But also, Brendan Howland, um, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, he said that uh, the the figures were a testament primarily to the fortitude of the Irish people and to the three-pronged approach to the economy deployed by this government since it took office in 2011 of correcting the imbalance in the public finances, repairing our banking system and investing in jobs and capacity. That's shorthand for the austerity has worked. And he's right, isn't he? Well, as I said about the French Revolution, I think it might be a little bit too early to tell, quite honestly. I mean, I hope so. I hope it's right. You could argue that it took a long time, but I hope it's right. The thing that will worry me a little bit, I want to come back on Larry's point, because I actually agree with him about domestic demand, but I have a different angle on it. But the thing that would worry me a little bit about our situation, I think the reason that we're doing pretty well at the moment, if those figures are real and you would be a little bit apprehensive that they, they mightn't sustain, but I think the reason for it is this, that we're in the middle of a currency triangle between sterling, the dollar and uh, the, the, the euro, euro. Uh, and we're benefiting benefiting quite a bit, I would say, from the strength of the British and the US economies uh, rather than Europe. Europe is very flat at the moment. Europe is in a bit of a crisis situation. I mean, if you look at the position of Italy particularly, I mean, I think it's a cost to be extremely worried about. Uh, so Europe is, is quite close to deflation. I think the inflation rate's about 0.3% at the moment. Now, the fear I have about Europe is that if they allow it to go on too long before making an effective intervention to start bringing inflation up again, it may be very hard to unseat the, inf- the deflationary expectations that are there, which in the long run I think could be quite difficult for us. So what I'm saying is a measure of caution. Now, in terms of Larry's point, he's absolutely right about domestic demand, and that's been our 
song for uh, for quite a few years. In this case, we have a slightly different emphasis, I think, about what would be the most effective way of doing it. And our two-pronged approaches, as I said, first of all, to relieve the pressure uh, on the water charges, because we don't think there's a whole lot of good in relieving the tax position if you're relieving direct taxation if you're increasing indirect taxation. And indirect taxation is more regressive by definition. Uh, I know there'd be a theological debate about whether it's taxation or a user charge or whatever, but the effect is exactly the same. The other point is, by putting forward the idea about the refundable tax credits, um, we're benefiting people on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, first of all, which in equity, you might say, is the best thing to do. But secondly, in practical terms, those people are much more likely to spend their money into the economy you know, then people sort of higher up the the, uh, the wage spectrum. So we think it would be a more effective way as well as a more equitable way of getting the man back into the domestic economy. Arthur, are we getting slightly ahead of ourselves here? Because two consecutive quarters of decline generally signals a recession, but two successive quarters of improvement doesn't necessarily make a recovery, especially after the six horrible years we've just had. And we are still borrowing something like eight, 800 million euro a month to fund the state. So is all this talk of tax, tax cuts and concessions and so on a bit premature? Well, uh, certainly the Fiscal Council would argue that we are. Um, I think it's certainly true to say that we're not, we're not home and hosed very, very, we're very, very far from it. And just to um, remind people, the Fiscal Advisory yeah. Council called for the original it, 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 2 billion it, it, adjustments. It declared on Monday morning that the government should, should proceed with the, uh, the mm. foreseen cuts of uh, retrenchment of 2.1 billion. But you've written today in today's Irish yeah. Times that Enda Kenny has effectively ruled that out. Enda Kenny has ruled that out and frankly I don't think there was anyone, uh, I, I would doubt even that the Fiscal Council thought that the government was going to uh, turn around and say okay if the Fiscal Council says cut by another 2.1 billion uh, we'll do it. Look at it, I mean the Fiscal Council isn't the government, the government isn't the Fiscal Council, they each have their job to do. But I do think the warning sounded by the Fiscal Council is salutary because while the uh, deficit situation is certainly improving, the Irish state is going to get the deficit below the magic figure of 3% of economic output next year. That represents a huge achievement. The fact is that every single person in this country still lives with the, the legacy of the crash, and that legacy finds its expression in the enormous volume of the national debt. And uh, we have to pay that down. And while that debt remains at a very, very elevated level, the Irish economy remains in a very precarious and fragile situation because one of the things that enabled us to get out of the crash and the recession, the many long years of recession that followed the crash, was the fact that there are national debt going into it was very, very low. So there was capacity to take on increased debt to get ourselves out of it. Now, we don't at this time have capacity to increase the debt at the same rate. Uh, we serve. That's just simply not an option at the moment. And that leaves us in a very, very fragile situation, notwithstanding the fact that growth is picking up at a very appreciable rate and at a much quicker rate than anyone really for. Uh, okay, I know Larry and David want to get in at this point. Larry, we'll start with you. Yeah, you're nodding uh, uh, in uh, approval of that. We're, we're all, I think, um, in general agreement. Um, however, the strategy on how to mm. get where we want to go seems to be quite different. I, can I just give it to you from a business perspective? 
Tell us um, about your business. You're involved sure. in Dom uh, Meats. I, I, no, I'm not involved in Dom Meats. They're cousins. Sorry. Great company, but they're cousins. My company is Dawn Farm Foods, and we're... Uh, one of the largest producers of cooked meats in Europe. We export to more than 40 markets around the world. Our manufacturing base is here in Ireland. We have 600 people roughly in Nace and another 300 people in the UK. And, you know, we have built um, 25, 30-year-long partnerships with some of the finest food brands in the world who depend on us uh, for critical parts of their finished products. So I promise you, um, millions and millions of consumers eat our products. I'm mm-hmm. sure everybody here at the table has. They just didn't realise it. So we, we uh, employ real people in the real economy, and uh, I certainly understand, as I know many of my colleagues in industry do, how tough it's been to sustain employment over the last five years. And that has been really, really, really hard. The competitive metrics in Ireland are still requiring significant adjustment. And unfortunately, there's no light switch moments here. They're all knobs that we have to keep twiddling and tweaking to try and fine-tune them. We are out of whack on our costs still. We were five years ago. We are still today. So fundamentally, direct and indirect taxation have an impact on A, the domestic economy, but B, the competitiveness of our ability to export. And we've got to get our domestic economy functioning properly, and direct and indirect taxation is a feature of that. And the biggest slug that has disappeared out of people's pay packets in the last five years is in direct and indirect tax, not in pay reductions from where I sit. And so I think it's really fundamental that the government signals a couple of key things on both of those fronts that starts to maybe just build another brick in the wall of confidence that we've seen emerging in a small way in the sure. last Sure, I mean, Craig Beaumont, who was head of the IMF mission in Ireland, uh, in a speech earlier this year, said that our focus really should be on getting people back to work mm. rather than increasing pay or, or tax concessions, uh, etc. And it's very interesting because one of the uh, issues that jumped out at me uh, from the Nevin research this week was that unemployment... Um, continues to to rise on the western seaboard. Um, There's definitely a recovery taking place in the eastern seaboard. But in the southwest region, employment declined by uh, 7,300 in the year to June 2014, by 5,400 in the western region and 2,900 in the Midwest. Mm. So our focus should be on putting people back to work rather than on tax concessions. That's why why the proposal on social housing is so extremely important. Mm. An awful lot of those people were people who worked in the construction industry. And the biggest danger I think we have in the future is that if we leave people disconnected from the labour market for too long, they become unemployable again. You know, they become part of a structural employment quotient, which is very, very hard to uh, shift. So both from the point of view of need, as in houses for people, you know, and the heat, the overheating of the uh, of the housing market generally, and from the point of view of targeting the sector of the economy that was hardest hit by the collapse, i.e. the construction industry, I think social housing, a big investment in social housing on the basis that I explained earlier on, uh, would be a very, very good thing to do. And it would have the deterred effect of contributing to what Larry and myself both want to achieve, namely an improvement of domestic demand, because you would have more people working, more wages coming in, less pressure on the uh, exchequer. You, you would begin to turn a sort of a vicious uh, cycle into a, a benign cycle again, you know. Larry Moran, has the time come for another round of social partnership? Um, 
frankly, I think that social partnership ha- had its time. Um, I don't see uh, one solution as fitting or curing everybody's ills going forward. Um, I think solutions around pay over the next couple of years are going to be done and found on a company-by-company or sector-by-sector basis. I don't think you can overlay um, the same tools, if I may call them that, uh, that we used predominantly throughout the 90s and the early part of this decade in the environment we're working in today. We have got to focus on the competitive metrics and productivity Pay is an important part of that into the future. Um, But I think we're going to look back on this period in another two or three years and say that was a 10-year recession that we just had. So I don't think this is over. I think we've seen a couple of quarters of very promising figures. To David's point, I'd like to see the government make a number of gestures on the indirect and direct taxation front that would help to build on consumer confidence and get money moving in the domestic Irish economy. And I think the effects that that would have are very significant, frankly, and would help to actually reinforce further quarters of of improvement in the period ahead. And I think pay on an individual company or sectoral basis will come about as it's appropriate. Was social partnership part of the problem in the boom years, do you think? Uh, You know, inevitably you'll have different... I'm I'm not here to comment on whether it was or it wasn't, but I do know that it pushed as a big part of my business's competitive metrics out of line. We employ people in the UK, we employ people here, and... um, there is a significant labour difference in our cost in labour terms. It's 25 30%. That's never going to change at this point in time. Nobody's talking about a reduction in the minimum pay rate. Ireland has to be smarter than that in how we deal with those competitive differences. And government, we need leadership from government on that. David Bake, Social Partnership Mark II, is, is the time right for it? Uh, well, n- it won't happen now. No, it won't happen in my remaining professional life. That's the, the reality. Um, I would offer you an explanation. One is a sort of a philosophical one, uh, which says it should come back, and the other is a practical one. And the philosophical one is, is more or less this. Uh, the countries that we should try to emulate, in my view, that have been most successful in Europe are the small open economies of Northern Europe, by which I mean the Nordic countries and the Netherlands and so on. These are countries which are built on the principle of democratic corporatism, which includes, at its core, the idea of social partnership as a way of life. Almost, And they have been extremely successful, and that is very deeply embedded as a concept. And it's embedded there for a much longer period than it occurred in Ireland. It goes back to the 1930s, in fact. We could have a very long discussion about that, but I'll just say that as, as a point. Those countries have been very successful. I think for the future... You know, Ireland has to find a model for itself. I don't think in a, in a eurozone made up of social market economies, it can hardly be, you know, uh, buccaneering Anglo-Saxon capitalism. I just don't think that's a workable model uh, for the future. That's the philosophical argument. The practical argument is this, that if you believe in the future that uh, at some point the resolution of the euro crisis will mean a deeper form of European integration. And I agree that there are many obstacles to it at the moment, but in practical terms, the one thing that the crisis has shown us is this, that you can't actually have a single currency without some kind of political and fiscal union. Now, if that happens, going on the competitiveness point, 
uh, we will be expected to to be as competitive as the other members of the of the fiscal union, and uh, we will expect the same rates of inflation and so on, and the same weight of rate uh, pay adjustments, basically. And let's take the point that Larry made that we'll have a ten-year recession. We'll also have ten years of pent-up wage pressure, during which forty billion in wages was taken out of the economy. Real earnings went down by 5.8% over the full period of adjustment. So let's say things improve. With no institutions uh, to intervene, we will have a wage explosion, almost certainly, in my view. Uh, And in those circumstances, people will begin to wonder again, would we have been better off with social partnership? But it's some years away. Arthur, frankly, it won't explosion? concern me too much. Well, I, I, uh, I, I don't see an explosion, but I think the issue is coming down the tracks uh, pretty quickly because certainly the recovery and growth and the recovery in the public finances is going to put a huge pressure on the government well, the to start talking to public sector unions. Right well, the border, but this is the point, and I, and I make the point about public sector trade unions, which uh, expect to go into talks next year in advance of the next election with the government with a view to unwinding the FEMPI legislation, which is the Financial Emergency Measures in the Public Interest legislation, through which the government cut public pay. Now, uh, with a government which is going to be on election footing, and it's already you know in, into that space, if you like, or into the last 18 months of the current mandate, um, that issue is going to that issue is is is, is going to come uh, you know into debate very very quickly. And the question that arises then is that you, if you have a government whose public finances are improving pretty rapidly in talks with uh, the trade unions representing public sector workers. What is going to happen to the workers in the private sector who are looking, uh, if you like, over into the next field and saying, hold on a minute, here's a government which is in talks about... And I think they're going to... All that will be in play is a gradual unwinding of pay cuts. I don't think they're going to say, OK, all of this FEMPI legislation, it's all over and everyone gets all their money back. That's not going to happen. But there will be a process, and it's in that kind of context that the whole question of pay comes around. I don't see a, an explosion, but it's certainly going to happen. Larry Moore? Um, Yes, sure. Inflation uh, on pay will come about in time. Uh, I'm well aware that many of IBEX members have already um, uh, granted pay increases um, over time to to their workforces, and many have stood still, and some have had to turn the clock back just to survive. Uh, There's different stories in different sectors, and... um, uh, I do see that inflation will inev- pay inflation will inevitably come back in the agenda, but uh, before it does, if we can see the couple of things that we're talking about here on the direct indirect taxation front uh, and the other measures that we're that IBEC is calling for in the budget begin to be addressed, you know, um, a certain momentum will be created, and. Uh, and I think it'll be it'll be in you know it it'll have its time. And just before we close quickly, um, what's the situation in your own company? Are you on a pay freeze? Have you had pay cuts? Are you have we, you restored pay? We've been on a pay a pay freeze since two thousand late two thousand and eight. Uh, frankly, we cut back our workforce by nearly a uh, hundred people, and we've now managed to grow that again uh, back to levels beyond where it was before we cut. 
we consider that a result. Sustaining employment in the last five years has been a big priority for many, many Irish businesses. Um, so, you know, that's a really sure. important thing. I think there's a slight point missed in what I was trying to say, which was that if we reach a point in the future where we are required and expected to have German rates of pay increase here, the problem is that the German... Uh, wage determination system takes place in the context of a social market economy where the social wage for people, their health services, their uh, education, their housing, all of these questions are dealt with and provided for in a broad sense. Now, we on the other hand will have no mechanisms for dialogue with government or employers or anything else about things like that. Our institutions of the labour market will be debilitated. We will have no way of talking about those things so people will just go straight forward after wages. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's the danger. So that's my reason for saying that in a few years, I think people, whether they uh, call it partnership social or not, or social partnership, sure. they will have to come back to some model like that. David Begg, you're due to retire in March mm-hmm. as General Secretary of ICTU. When you look back on your, your time, do you look back with regret or with a sense of satisfaction? Uh, well, look, I mean, the last five years have been extremely difficult for everybody, I, I, I think, and, and one can only regret that people suffered so much in that uh, period of time. I mean, you have to look forward, and our view would be that the most important thing is that we build a sustainable economy and society for the future, that we don't suddenly say it's all over, we can go back to the way things were. That would be a colossal a mistake. And uh, I mean, in the time left to me, I will be trying to put forward a model about how society and the economy might be constructed in a sustainable way in the future. And it will actually have regard to some of those things I've mentioned, like the the uh, high performance okay. of the Nordic economy. Any thoughts so on who should succeed you? Uh, I, I have indeed, but you wouldn't expect me to share them. <laughs> OK. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank the producer Sinead O'Shea and sound engineer JJ Vernon. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.